Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and website, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Every day, the choices we make create our imprint the mark we leave through our life and on the world. I'm Natalie Walton and this podcast is for you if you want to make better decisions in your daily life, from how you create and run your home to building a meaningful business and life that you love. If you're interested in living more intentionally and responsibly, come join me and leading creatives, entrepreneurs and experts every week. Together, let's create an imprint worth leaving. Would you love to design and decorate your dream home, but feel completely overwhelmed by all of the choices, the steps to take and how to bring it all together? Of course, you know that you want to create a home that you love, one that helps you to live your best life and you want to get it right. After all, your home is one of your biggest and best investments. I've got something just for you this week only. It's a free training called the three steps you must take to design your home. Once you understand these three steps and they're not what you might think, you will be able to design and decorate with clarity and confidence and actually know the best place to start designing, 
what you should really buy and how to make it all come together beautifully while still working within your budget. So what are you waiting for? This is the simple process that you've been waiting for. Don't miss out. It's this week only. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash three steps to design your home and check out this incredible free training. That's nataliewalton.com forward slash three steps to design your home. And in case you didn't quite catch it, I'm going to say it one last time. nataliewalton.com forward slash three steps to design your home. Hello everyone, I hope that you're all well. Today I'm excited to share an interview with Mariah Burton, who is an interior designer and has a studio called Folk Studio with um, her business partner and design partner, Chris. Now, I was captivated by Mariah's designs when I recently discovered them. And as I started to dig a little bit deeper onto the work that she's created and her process, I was also taken by how she uses sustainable principles in her work and also really tries to work within people's needs and their existing spaces. So she's got a great video on her website of how she designed a small space. And I encourage you to watch that. She talks about that in this interview. And I also really love hearing about her own story to how she came to become an interior designer. Because for some of you who might love creating homes and think that this is something that you want to do, she really steps through the process to how she became an interior designer. It can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelming and how can you break into the industry? Well, she shares all of that. So I hope that you enjoy this interview and I will connect again with you soon. Hi, Mariah. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm very excited to hear about your journey into creating interiors. I kind of got immersed in your website recently, looking at your different projects and was watching that little video on your Chippendale project that you worked on and just loved yes. the ideas that you had in terms of designing a small space and using sustainable materials where you can as well. So I thought we could talk about all things design today. And But I wanna kind of start at the beginning of your journey because I'm always fascinated to learn where people start. Like, were you always creative or what was your journey to becoming a creative person? Well, thanks for having me as well. I, um... I have always been a pretty creative person. I think growing up, we didn't really have much, so we had to become quite resourceful. And my mum is a really creative person, so she would always find things on the side of the road to repurpose. Um, a lot of the time it was furniture, and um, she kind of encouraged us to see beauty in uh, things that a lot of people don't see beauty in. And so we were quite creative kids. There was always projects happening at our house. Yeah. And did you grow up in Sydney? Is that where you grew up? Yeah. Yeah. I was actually born in California. Um, so my mum's Australian and my dad's African-American. And so we moved here when I was about three. So I've been here forever. Yeah. 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 No, great. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. um, and so then at what point did you start to get a sense that you wanted to work in interiors? Yeah, I, I think I was about seven. So my mum often tells me these stories and I do remember it, but I would often wake up in the middle of the night and rearrange my room. 
and I my room was my my sanctuary I was obsessed with changing things at one point I convinced my mum to paint all my walls um, with chalkboard paint and painting the floors with concrete paint and I had bright green floors and I just loved creating and waking up to new spaces so I I knew I loved design from about seven and I always, I wasn't hundred percent sure if I was going to go into it, but I, I, I knew I had a knack for it. Yeah. And then I guess then your journey, sort of you going through high school and did you really know then that you wanted to study interior design or what was your journey kind of making that transition from those later high school years to then sort of studying? Yeah, so it was a, uh, a funny story. I actually, I played basketball at a really high level my whole life and it, I was really conflicted whether I wanted to be an interior designer or a basketball player, which are very <laughs> two different things. Um, and so I would, you know, I kind of dabbled with the idea of doing both, you know, as a 16-year-old thinks, you know, is possible. And I decided at about 17 that I would do interior design um, but I was, wasn't sure when, and really I got a scholarship to uh, a design school straight after high school. And so I just kind of decided, well, look, I've been given this opportunity. I may as well start. And then I've never looked back. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I can, I think a lot of people can probably relate to that, that, you know, you, you when you're in those younger years, I think there can often be two sides to your personality or two sides to like your interests and to feel torn yeah. and having to make that decision. But, um, well, it seems like it served you well, your decision. So not to say that you want to become a, a kind of an amazing basketballer as well, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely glad I chose interior design. Yeah. And so then I was reading about how, so you went to Billy Blue, is this right? And then um, you were sort of saying on your website about that you went to New York as a design representative for the World Business Forum. Can you just talk a little bit about that and how that opportunity came about? Yeah, so I'll start just with um, Billy Blue. Basically, I did a diploma and then I decided I wanted to do a bachelor degree. So I studied um, my bachelor and then when I was just about to finish graduating, this opportunity came up to become a design representative basically for the school. Um, I think at this point I was just about to graduate. So I went over to New York and it was an amazing experience. I got to meet some of the world's best designers, entrepreneurs, um, and just talk all things design. Um, and it was incredible. I was there for about five weeks. Um, the forum only went for a few days, but there was a lot of interviews and um, opportunities to interview the people that spoke as well after that. So that really um, opened my eyes to the world of design and where I could go with it. Okay. And so then what? Like, you know, you finish your studies as as most people do and then you have to kind of go out and get a job. So how did that um, yeah. or did you start your own practice straight away or did you work for other practices? Um, I worked for so many different practices after school. I had my eyes set on a few and uh, uh, like everybody, um, I interned for for years. So I did this on and off um, and I interned for some of the best studios in Sydney and loved being around amazing designers all the time. But basically it was kind of like eight to nine hours of cleaning out the studio fridge and dusting the samples and I was so happy to do that, 
But I remember thinking to myself, surely, you know, I don't have to be interning um, and doing these things for years. You know, I know I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of skill here and how can I showcase that? And so it made me really rethink my path and how I was going to get to, um, I guess, one day having my own studio. So then I actually worked for, I was offered a lot of jobs at that time after becoming an intern and it's really unheard of and crazy to think of now, but um, I turned them all down and I said, you know, none of them really aligned with my ethos and who I was. And I knew that was going to be really hard to find, but I was determined to find it. And then I got a job at Coscula, which is a sustainable furniture brand. And it was really my dream job. And I became their in-house interior designer and I worked there for years um, and that's kind of on right after that is when kind of folk began. Yeah. Oh, that's, I didn't realize that. And, um, yeah, I can really see yeah. like now that you've said that I can see the thread of your style and how it's kind <laughs> of aligned with their style, how the, it makes yeah. sense that you work there. Um, and yeah. yeah, so I guess what were you said this ethos that you had? So what was that? What was important to you that you decided, no, I don't want to work for these other studios? What was the kind of the burning uh, passion within yeah. you? I felt like a lot of the studios I was working at were kind of just producing work with no passion. There was a really a lack of understanding in terms of sustainability and the, it just never felt right. Um, I think the lack of passion um, for design and seeing design as more of a, um, I guess, a tool to enhance your mental and physical well-being rather than just produce spaces and get the most um, profit from that. And I just always felt like people were designing for money, uh, and I, I just it never sat well with me. So. I really wanted to focus on slow design, sustainable design, um, and yeah, just have a company that really aligned with me personally, rather than um, just seeking something for, you know, be able to say on your LinkedIn profile that you worked for that company. Yeah. And so why do you think that this was an issue that was important for you? Was there a particular journey that you had been on to kind of, I guess, become attuned and awakened to sustainability and, and, and that as an issue? there was a particularly a moment that that um kind of changed for me it's always been um part of who I am and again I guess it goes back to being really resourceful and living a really sustainable um life but it's really big it's a really big topic in my um, household and as a child it was really ingrained in me so it's just been a part of who I am and um I'm pretty when I, I'm pretty strong, I guess, in terms of those personality traits and the things that I believe in and I won't compromise. Yeah. Okay. So what was um, that time then working at Coscella like? So were you working on um, like commercial projects doing sort of, because I know that they've got a lot of commercial clients, don't they? So was it helping them? Yeah, they do. No, I actually wasn't in the commercial division at all. Um, I, it was a new role when I started and it was just looking after residential um, projects so it was really it was an amazing experience I got to design a lot of custom furniture new ranges um, and it really I guess sparked my love for furniture design as well and it taught me a lot about sustainable design and sustainable practices and I 
I ne- couldn't believe I had this job. Um, you know, I guess it was somewhat only a few years um, after graduating. I think I was probably three years after graduating and was the youngest person on the team and I really grew um, my knowledge of design and my love for design whilst being there. Okay. And um, and what were some of those big lessons that you learned about sustainability and sustainable design during that time? Can you share any of those? Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest one was utilising the makers that we have here, eliminating transport, using sustainable materiality, and it's not always the easy route. A lot of the time it's the harder um, route to find those materiality um, that works and the right makers and their, their process, understanding that. And even though it might be longer, um, the practice of sustainability has, has been implemented and understanding that and appreciating that. Yeah, that's so true. And um, so then you said that you formed Folk Studio. Was that after working at Castella, like did, was there a bit of a crossover period as well where you were kind of slowly building that up? Can you share that journey? Yeah, definitely. Uh, my colleague, Chris, he worked at Castella as well in a different role. Um, he has a background in urban planning and graphic design and interior design. And we both had a really um, a shared belief and passion um, for design. And so while we were working there, we kind of started thinking about folk. I mean, it wasn't called folk then. It was just this mysterious company that we were going to create. And we would talk about it every day and get really excited. And so it was probably about a year before we left and actually decided to take the plunge. Um, And we had come up with folk probably six months before we left the name. Everything was there, the branding, the website. Um, And then we, we launched it as soon as we left. And it was definitely scary being the control freak I am. It was, you know, I don't like to take huge risks. So um, yeah, we did, and it's definitely paid off. And so, who was your first client, and how did you find that client? Because this is something that yeah. I hear a lot from my students in my courses, and you know, it's getting that first try. You know, that getting that first opportunity. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, I'm still working with this client, amazingly, and I, I absolutely love her. But she, when I was working at Costella, she'd come in to buy some art or. Um, and wanted some rugs and some um, decorative pieces for her home. And I remember we had a few conversations and I went to her house once and um, we did a little bit of decorating for her. And she lived really close to me and we actually just bumped into each other one day. And she said, you know, what are you doing now? And I told her about folk and she said, I want you to start. And, and build my house. You know, we're, we're thinking about buying a house, buying a block of land, and, and I want you to do it. So two and a half years later, we're still building this house um, and it's been an amazing uh, journey. And even from that, it's been a lot of word of mouth. So we did her husband's office. I've done her sister's house in Adelaide. Um, I do their friends' houses. And then from that, just trickle on effect. So that was kind of how we started. Yeah. And I think that's so often the case. And it's, I guess, why it's so important that, you know, you just try and get get that first client, but, and it's a testament to you Mm. that then you've been given so many recommendations, you know, to sort of create the best possible Mm. work that you can. Um, And how did you, did you, were you worried about kind of designing a house? I mean, going from obviously doing perhaps smaller projects, like that's a lot to take on. Were you sort of nervous about that at all? (laughs) 
of course. You know, I still get nervous with most most projects, big and small, just because there's so much trust in me, of course, to make it um, a space that someone lives in every day. And it's such a big, um, I guess, there's so much trust that's um, given and I'm always nervous still. But that project, and it's still our biggest project to date, um, I've learned so much. Doing a new build is huge, um, you know, but it'll be the most rewarding thing that we've done. We've chosen every single centimetre of this house um, and every centimetre of it has been uh, thought of. And it's a really, it's going to be a really beautiful home. But yes, I was scared. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's just part of the process as well. Like, I mean, I still kind of get that feeling when I take on projects and I think that, you know, people can kind of resist that sometimes because they, you know, they're fearful, but that's actually when you grow the most, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent when you're thrown in the deep end. Um, And I think a lot of the time when you have to collaborate with other people, trades, architects, um, there's a lot of creative collaboration, which is always scary because you're like, what, what can I bring to this? Um, but I think as women, we, we always sometimes step back and are a little bit fearful to step forward and put our hands up and say, Hey, um, I've got an idea here. And, um, that's something I'm always learning Yeah, just to um, speak up a little bit more and feel a bit more confident in my skills. So can you share some of the things that you've learned on this particular project? Yeah. Oh, so many. Um, I think for this particular project, we've learned a lot about, I guess, collaborating. So most of the time we, when we do projects, we project manage them. Um, And, you know, we have our trades as well and people we feel really comfortable with. So just to, I guess, delegate and having that open line of communication with all these different builders that we've never used um, and all these different trades and suppliers and architects, um, that's something that was really tricky at the beginning to kind of um, coordinate and manage, but it's obviously paid off because we've got such a creative, great team of people um, and, yeah, I've learned a lot from them. Yeah, and just, I guess, I... I often like to sort of get a little bit technical um, with asking these questions because so many people are at the beginning of their journey and I think they find it really helpful. So when you're dealing with trades and builders and you're sort of trying to communicate, so how do you go about that? Like are you do you create a very clear brief to them and, and what do you include in it? What do you find works to kind of really get a clear message across to people? Yeah, sure. What I found is, um, I mean, some people are either visual um, and they like to see renders or they like to see mood boards and concepts and other people work more 2D and like to see spreadsheets and documentation. Um, And, of course, you need both of those things, but it's trying to figure out um, what is going to be the, the clearest line of communication for all these different people. And so what I found is just provide everything because you don't know these people particularly well, sometimes it's best to um, create presentations and documents that are visual, that are um, heavy with spreadsheets and Excel and, um, and renders and all of the above so that everything is really clear and nothing's missed. Because if you just assume that that person thinks like you and that the idea will come across visually, well, then, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the time trades and builders don't think that way. And so you really do have to kind of 
rethink the way that you present things. And what about talking to trades? How do you, are you do you feel comfortable <laughs> with that? Yeah. Do you know, that's I funny. I get that question a lot. Um, my stepdad was a builder. My partner, my husband, he is a builder. I'm so used to being around trades and I'm also, they always also tell me, like, Mariah, don't say that. It's the wrong terminology. Um, and so I've really adapted how I can communicate to trades. Um, but it is difficult. And I think, again, it's quite difficult for women sometimes. And also being an interior designer is sometimes looked um, down on with with trades. And, and sometimes architects, you know, we're seen as people that fluff cushions. Um, so you do have to prove yourself. Um, and it's difficult, but you get used to it. And you know, I, luckily for me, I'm around a lot of trades all the time. That's definitely an asset, I think. Yep, definitely. Um, and so can you talk through some of the other projects that you've worked on? Like I mentioned, um, I really loved what you created within that space in Chippendale. It was a very small apartment and we'll share a link with that in the show notes. But maybe you could just talk a little bit about some of the sustainable ideas and, and really trying to maximize a small space can you just talk through a few yeah. of the tips and things that you learned from that project? Yeah. Well, yeah, talking particularly about Chippendale, um, I guess for for me it was creating a space that felt minimal, that um, also utilised natural materials and everything was lifted off the floor as well to utilise that floor space and make the space feel bigger. But everything that was in there had to be fully considered and what was its use um, was it visually appealing as well because it's such a small space? Everything had to be curated and, um, and work with one another. So with, with that space, everything was um, kind of customised. I mean, the sofa being the main part, um, it's, it was built around, uh, there was a, a funny angle on the wall and it was built around that wall and also the level of comfort was customised for the client. Um, but they really wanted to utilise local makers as well. So we really reached out to all my contacts of people that were um, in Sydney to eliminate transport costs and things as well. And um, we used, yeah, all my, all my makers really and said, you know, I know you don't create this kind of thing, but can you create this um, for this space and, and how are we going to do this and what's the process going to look like? Everything was very collaborative for this particular project. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And that's there's a fun little video on your website as well, which I'll I'll try and share a link to that as well. Um and I, I loved also the one you did in I think it was DY. There was a cafe and you had yeah. some like leather seats, which I really they were uh, really yes. beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. can you share like how did that project come about and what were some of the the lessons that you learned or what were you trying to achieve with that space? Yeah, awesome. That's actually, um, it's in Manly. And um, what we were trying to achieve in that space is basically the brief um, was to sit more people and make it feel light and airy. And really, um, I guess it was right on the beach in Manly. So it really needed to have a little bit of a coastal feel to it and feel fresh and bright. Previously, they could only sit five people in that cafe. So it really wasn't working for him. And he'd owned this cafe for 30 years and had never really reinvented it. So it was just um, basically we, we were able to actually sit 25 people in the end there. And it was a lot 
of um, playing around with the layout and the floor plan. Um, that was probably the most difficult part of that project because we weren't actually touching the kitchen area. Um, we really had to utilize the space, the floor space that we had. Um, and so that was the biggest, um, I guess, brief given was, was to be able to see more people, but we really wanted it to feel um, comfortable and bright and fresh. And we did that by introducing a lot of plants and natural materials, like the timber and the textured white wall and the leather. And obviously like the, that kind of curved effect with the, the sofa, I mean, I'm presuming that you're the, the seating, that you hadn't created that sort of thing before. Did you create things to scale yeah. or do you have to kind of just take that leap of faith that it's going to turn out as you <laughs> hope it will? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, we have an amazing upholsterer that we work with and it's a lot of um, sketches and, and documenting that. But we wanted to create upholstery that mimicked, as cheesy as it sounds, the waves um, and kind of this organic fluidness of the area um, being on the beach. So that was kind of how we could introduce that coastal feel without it actually feeling and looking um, coastal. <laughs> and we we wanted to create some texture and a point of difference for the space. And it really came from the upholstery. Yeah, no, it was great. And so how did that project come about? Did the client um, approach again, you? word of mouth. <laughs> yeah, he did. Funnily enough, I got a coffee from him every single morning for three years. It was my go-to coffee place. And he messaged me one day and said, Mariah, I need you to do the space. He's the most relaxed guy and he just gave me free reign. Awesome. And I, yeah. I love the fact that as well, that sometimes I feel that people don't always see the value in interior design, but just by you sort of saying that mm. he went from being able to seat five people to 25, like that's a huge yeah. like profit game for him, you know, so there's that investment yeah. and, yeah, it's, I, I think that interior design can not only just impact how we live, but can also impact, particularly if you're a commercial business, the amount of people you can get into your shop or your cafe or restaurant or, yeah. you know, and, and, and how long they stay and, you know, all of those things. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really quite powerful. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it's always worth getting a fresh set of eyes on things. Definitely. And so can you just run us through your process when you, you so you get a brief, then what is the process that you go through? And, and can you also just share a little yeah. bit of an insight into like, um, you know, what kind of software you use and, and like the whole thing, sure. you know, because so, like I said, the people who are going to be listening okay. to this are very much, you know, either creating their own homes or interior designers themselves, maybe at the beginning of their career. So yeah, it'd be really great if you can yeah. give a bit of an insight. No worries. Uh, things have been moving really fast for folk at the moment in terms of our design process because we have been so busy. So um, things have had to be modified. But basically what we're doing at the moment is we'll always do a, a walkthrough. So as soon as we're approached, we'll do, I guess, a design consult and just get a, a feel for the space and a feel for the person as well and how they live in that space. So it's basically just getting photos, measuring up, getting the sketches and just looking at little things around the home to get a feel of how that person lives. It's not necessarily giving any ideas about the space because I feel like it takes me a while to see all of this, go back to the office and really think about it rather than giving all these ideas on the spot because it just doesn't work for me that way. So once we've um, had a look at the space, things move pretty fast from there. Um, we 
often there's a little bit of back and forth with the client of exactly what they want and just kind of um, narrowing that down and then coming up with a concept and a mood board. And we usually just send that. So it's just a brief, it's a presentation, it's a mood board, it's a concept and will we get to see, I guess, what they think about that. And what do you create that, that on? Sorry, what do you create that on? Do you yeah. use like InDesign or what? Uh, InDesign. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we use InDesign for that. Um, and it's usually only about three to four pages. It's really brief. Um, once we get feedback from that, then we modify the concept in the mood board. And then we go into actually specifying particular products. So we give three to four options per product. So let's say it's a bathroom. We will do three or four tile options for a feature tile. And then we may do three or four options for the floor tile um, and so on, tapware, vanity. So it's really just breaking it all down. And everything has an image, everything has a price and everything has a link. And that's just so it's really user-friendly for people. They can click into the link, they can have a look at the product. Um, and get a little bit more information. And then once that's sent off, um, usually that's room by room. So it's depending on if it's a whole house or it's a single room. And then it may take, someone might go, great, I love all of those options. What are your favorites? Or someone might be a little bit more particular and say, you know, can you talk me through this? Can you talk me through this? Let's amend this. And then we may do two or three revisions depending on the client. So that's, a, that's usually from the, the time we do a site visit um, to the time that that document is sent is about a two-week turnaround. So once we have refined that concept and those particular products and things, it's then when we start doing more of the technical drawings um, and layout planning and understanding exactly how the space will look. Um, and that usually takes about two weeks as well. Um, the programs that we use for that are um, AutoCAD, and then Revit. Okay, yeah. And do you um, yeah. do you charge for the walkthrough that you do at the start? And do you like to prefer to work on an hourly rate, or do you kind of charge like give a kind of a, a project cost? Um, we don't charge for walkthroughs um, unless it's just a one-off design consultation because that person feels confident moving forward, and that's been um, I guess communicated at the beginning then that's charged. But if it's something that somebody wants, you know, a whole project and they want to use our services, the first walkthrough is, is complimentary. Um, and then in terms of yeah, payment hourly or um, more of a quote, we like to work on a quote basis. Um, that's, we don't usually charge hourly. We used to, um, but we've, we've moved on from that. And I think it's just a lot easier in terms of for us, instead of continually sending invoices and I guess cutting down that um, that experience of always asking for money, which is completely fine, but we find that it's just a little bit clearer and a little bit um, smoother in terms of the design process if it's just a one-off payment. Yeah, and I guess you also have a better sense yeah. of like how long this process takes you so you can kind of estimate that and um, yes. kind of build that into yeah. your, your cost pricing and, yeah. Yeah, all of yeah that sort of exactly. It, it's not something you can really do, I guess, at the beginning. Um, you do need to understand how long a space will take. Yeah. And so then how do you and Chris work together then? What are your kind of individual roles within the business? Do you work together yeah. on each project or do you do separate projects? Uh, a little bit of both. So Chris has separate projects. There's some projects we're working on together. 
some that I'm just working on by myself. Um, Chris is more of the uh, back-end man. He he does all of our schedules, um, the documentation, and then I'm more of front of house. I do a lot of the site visits and the client meetings um, and more of the conceptual design. Yeah, okay. And so did you say that you've now got somebody else in your team? Have you? Is your team growing? Yeah, yeah, she's just started. It's it's growing. Um, I feel like at this point we probably need more people again, which is really exciting. Uh, and, and she's awesome. She's um, a new graduate and she studied um, residential interior design and got her bachelor degree and reached out to us. Um, and, yeah, she's she's awesome. She's helped so much. If you, you forget how um, fast people are on the computer when they've just studied, you know, they know the programs back to front. Yeah, yeah. That's always, I feel like, a big moment in a business when you take on your first hire that um, it's it, obviously it allows you so much more freedom. But how do you manage that? Like, do you, um, are you able to let go of certain things or is that being yeah. a challenge? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's something I'm really working on is just asking for help and delegating. Um, it hasn't been as hard as I thought. I think I was really at that point that, you know, we really needed help. So it's actually been quite natural just to ask for help and, and give her certain jobs. I think at this point I'm not um, ready to, I guess, let go of client meetings. I love catching up with my clients and um, a lot of my clients feel like friends in some ways. Um and so for me, there's still a lot that I do in the business. And I guess for small businesses, you take on so many things, marketing, website, um, Instagram, clients, and, and so many things. So I think I'll be doing that for, for still quite a long time. But it's nice to be able to, to give somebody else um, a little bit of the load of work. So Yeah, I mean, your website is really beautiful. Is that something that you outsourced? No, um, Chris has actually got a bit of a background in graphic design and he's awesome at that. So he did most of the website and, and manages most of that still. Oh, you're lucky <laughs> to have that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. such a big part of the business. Um, and so I guess what what's your what's next for for folk? You know, like what are your projects are you working on at the moment? And and what's important for you as you, I guess, grow as a studio? What, I guess, are your you know, the principles or the core values of your design practice? Yeah. Um, so for what's next for folk, we have our biggest year yet. Um, we have uh, like a lot of projects on. <laughs> so I'm really excited to see those evolve and, and see what the end product um, is for those. So it's really just, um, I guess, this new build as well. That'll be finished this year. Uh, so it's getting all these projects over the line, looking amazing and, and I guess making the clients happy. So that's our biggest goal for this year. Um, and I think then also growing the team, um, and also, I guess, getting projects outside of Sydney. We do have quite a few at the moment and we had quite a lot of us projects last year. Um, so I guess growing that as well, I would love to do more US projects and more international projects. And I think for us, because of COVID and the ability to be able to Zoom and do things um, virtually, we really had to get better at that. And we really nailed that last year. Um, and so I think that we can continue that this year. I don't think COVID's going away anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, and I guess for us, keeping in keeping with 
all of our belief systems and folk, our practices, and and also um, still being passionate about smaller projects and not always just focusing on the bigger projects and the ones that, you know, are the new builds, but also if somebody wants just their bathroom done, still getting that excitement there and that passion um, to, to know that you're really changing the way someone lives in their day-to-day. So I think for a small company, keeping those small values as well. Yep. And um, I was going to ask you as well about, so when you're doing these international projects, how do you go about then, I guess, working with their like suppliers there, you know, that side of things? Has that been a big learning curve, sort of educating yourself yeah. on different suppliers? Yeah, it's it's huge. Um, luckily for our US clients, a lot of them had their favourite suppliers that they would share with me. But there was a lot of research that had to get done and a lot of, um, I guess, changing dimensions uh, on the spot from inches to millimetres was always <laughs> um, really difficult to do. But, yeah, there's definitely challenges with suppliers, but luckily, um, of course, the internet is amazing and it's it's pretty easy nowadays to find people in that area, makers, trades and so on. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. Yeah. And so how did they find you? Was that through Instagram and social media? Yeah, I, I find that our Instagram is the main, um, I guess, our main reach. It's our main form of communication. We do put quite a lot of effort into uh, marketing on Instagram and we get a lot of people messaging us and I think from there emailing us as well. So it's really awesome. Yeah. Can you just share a little bit about Instagram and using it? Because I think it's one of the most important yeah. tools kind of within any kind of small business toolkit um, to to communicate with people, to share your work. How do you, can you share a little bit about, I guess, how you choose to show up on Instagram, like what you choose to share, yeah. you know, like what you choose to say, the tone of your voice and, and the way that you kind of write your captions, but also do you plan in advance and what kind of tools do you use if you do do that type of thing? Sure. Uh, we definitely do plan things in advance. So we usually collect um, quite a lot of different imagery and we like to have a mix of our own projects and then projects that inspire us as well as furniture pieces that inspire us. So we kind of like to have a little bit of a mix in there. So we often do a monthly plan. We don't use any app. I know there's uh, uh, many out there, but we, we do it the old school way. We have all the images on our phones usually and we have a grid system and we just see what works nicely, make sure we don't have too many of our own projects and then too many of others project, uh, other projects. So we like to, we like to do it that way and, and do it that visually. Sometimes I steer off that path if I see a real really beautiful image <laughs> and Chris is like, right, stay on stay on the um the plan <laughs> but yeah usually it's all planned out um we like to keep our captions a little bit short um and I guess we don't we probably don't put as much thought into our captions as the actual imagery um but I think for us at the moment we've been really focusing on our stories and sharing kind of behind the scenes of the projects and the process um, which is something I always forget to do because, of course, we love a good before and after photo, but then what happens in between that? So I'm just trying to capture that a little bit more and share that. And do you have a particular time of day that you always try and post or are you sort of more fluid than that, I guess? 
I think I'm a little bit more fluid than that. I wish I wasn't, <laughs> but no, it's a little bit more fluid. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's when I've got the time, I guess, basically yeah, at the moment. Yeah, and uh, that's the thing, isn't it? And w- would you ever imagine that you would outsource that or do you actually enjoy doing that side of the business? Mm. I really enjoy it. Uh, and I think it's a it's a, re- a really clear extension of Chris and I, and I'd find it really difficult for somebody to come on board and take over that so I think we'll always do that yeah yeah okay I've got some questions here for you they're sort of like quick um whatever comes to mind first and um this is how we always end Mm -hmm. these interviews and I just think it's a fun way to get a little bit more of an insight into you and your journey and where you're hoping to go so um we'll get straight into them (laughs) so the first one is which five words best describe you so just whatever first comes to mind okay uh, I think I'm really ambitious, determined, quite strong. Uh, I'm always told I'm quite bubbly and I think patient. <laughs> What's the best life or career lesson you've learnt? Ask for help. Oh, that's a good one. What's your proudest <laughs> career achievement? I think... Uh, in terms of my career in design, folk has been my proudest achievement. And I think uh, just seeing it continually grow is I'm always in awe of it. Yeah. What's been your best decision? Uh, I think marrying my husband and starting folk. It's two, two answers. <laughs> Who inspires you? Oh, that's a hard one. I think for me, I grew up with my nan, my sister and my mum and my stepdad, but I had three really strong women in my household that really grounded me and pushed me, um, but they also inspire me. So I'd say, I'd say those three. Yeah. And what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about working sustainably and consciously, not only in my personal life, but also in my career. What dream do you still want to fulfill? I have so many and I don't, I can't imagine stop. I can't imagine not dreaming. So, uh, many, there's, there's many, uh, things on the horizon for folk. And also in terms of, I guess, we're trying to build folk into, you know, accommodation and, and other things as well, not just an interior design experience. Sounds like fun. Uh, what are you reading <laughs> at the moment? Uh, I'm actually reading the Michelle Obama book. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I, 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 yeah, I want to get that. I just I still haven't read it. So um, yeah, that sounds looks yeah. like a good one. Um, yeah, are you one. are you listening to any podcasts at the moment? Yes, I listen to Plant Proof podcast, which is just about living a more, I guess, conscious life. Um, I'm vegan, so it's basically about that. And also uh, the Minimalist podcast, which is about living a minimal life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. And what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, slow down a little bit and enjoy the process. I think for me, I'm always like on the go and I just think about the end uh, result, but enjoying the process a little bit more. Great. Thank you so much, Mariah. It's been so um, much fun to talk to you and learn about your process and um, your journey with folk. 
And I definitely think that um, it's going to be fun to watch your journey. I think that you're going to have many great projects ahead of you. So, um, and, and maybe other things thanks too. You. <laughs> so thanks. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone. I hope that you've enjoyed this interview and learning more about Mariah's creative journey. And don't forget that if you'd love to design and decorate your own home with clarity and confidence, I have a free training for you this week only. Just go to nataliewalton.com forward slash three steps to design your home to register now. That's nataliewalton.com forward slash three steps to design your home. All of the links and info you need to access for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunchalong Nation where it was recorded. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint. <laughs>